Welcome back to How to Go to College. I'm Zach Lewis, sitting here with Catherine Mars. How do you do, Zach? How's I'm doing it going? All right. How are you? Good. All Good. right. Well, I'm also sitting here with Matt Stoker. Matt, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> very cool. Uh, so today we're talking about study skills. In the first episode, we talked about building depth. In the second episode, we talked about college test prep. In the third episode, we thought, why not kind of bridge that gap? Let's talk about studying. I know you said there are three things colleges look for. Uh, what, what were those? Well, there's, there's actually more, but the top <laughs> right. three things are yes. a strong curriculum. So students really do need to concentrate on trying to um, start out as early as ninth grade taking strong classes, like uh, maybe one or two honors classes freshman year, and then adding maybe another honors class sophomore year if they did well, or uh, AP classes in junior and senior year. But if they are not necessarily strong in certain subjects, they should not do honors classes or, or accelerated classes. Rather, they could take more of a subject that they are interested in and good at. So a school may require two years of a foreign language, uh, or the state requires it, and, and the school may require three, but also they could take four, or they could take two languages, So, if they're good at that. So one of the reasons why I, I thought study skills which should be brought up is that study skills are an incredible, important piece of going to college, and you have to develop good study skills in high school to be successful in college. So if you do want to take honors classes, you've got to be prepared to do the work. And some kids feel that, you know, oh, it's going to be too hard. Well, it may be hard, but if they can learn better organization and how to better focus and study, then they'll be successful, which will only help them when they get to college and there is no real schedule. So this was always my biggest weakness in, in school was studying. I always did well on tests and I did well on homework, but I either didn't know how to study effectively or I just didn't want to study effectively because, again, I had blundered my way through high school and, and did well on my tests and I scored well on the SAT and I got into college. But by the time I got to college, I didn't know how to actually sit down and go to a library or study or do any. It, I had never felt really challenged that way. Well, so I wish I'd met you sooner. Well, and I also think that it's a really important piece of the issue of focus, that if a student can't focus, and with all the social media outlets we have today and the cell phones and the video games, et cetera, it is very hard to keep an attention span. And so to study effectively and to really learn the subject, you've got to be able to focus on that subject and block everything else out. So that, that is one of the reasons I think this, this particular topic is very important in planning for college. You bring up an interesting point. Being an artist in the art of college prep, uh, you, I'm sure, see a lot of trends regarding studying and the way kids are getting off track, how it's difficult to focus. Um, when I was in, in school, I, I tried to pursue a variety of study habits until I found what I liked, whether it be flashcards or writing or reading repetition or whatever it took uh, for me to be able to understand what I was looking at and kind of comprehend the material and remember it on test day. Um, where are kids going wrong? I mean, I don't mean to point any fingers or anything. I'm just curious. Like, what, what kind of trends are you seeing? Are kids just not getting it? Do they think that if they just do the homework, they'll be fine? Well, I think that, number one, students are not reaching out for help. 
In other words, they wait too late. They wait too long in, in the semester. If you, you know, let's say you're taking chemistry and you're not, uh, you're not inclined for that line of thinking, and so you get the first test back in the first month of school and you failed it. Well, that doesn't feel good because you think you've been learning it. You think you've been doing the homework right. You've been turning everything in. And so instead of going to the teacher and asking, could you help me learn what I'm missing here, they just go kind of lick their wounds by themselves and they don't, they don't reach out to anyone. So one of the, the most important things I try to in, encourage students to do is that if they start out in an honors class or an AP class in the beginning of the year and they struggle with the first assignment or the first test, to first reach out to the teacher. And if the teacher is teaching in a way that maybe that student doesn't learn, well, then okay, we need to backstep and think about a tutor and getting a tutor to help them versus either giving up and dropping the class and going into the regular chemistry class or continuing just to slide and end up failing it for the semester. Do you think it's always a good idea to fill up your schedule as much as possible? Or if you, say, have a few AP classes under your belt, would it be good to take a, uh, a, a block of time off during the school day in order to sit down and study or to go read or just to give yourself that cushion if your school allows it to do something other than just focus on a single class? If they offer a study hall and you're taking some AP classes, absolutely. Especially if you play sports or if you're in the band or you have other extracurricular activities that are going to take up a great deal of your time, you absolutely must have time during the day to kind of decompress and, and study. I know college, college, high school is a very, it's a very social thing. And that's part of the reason a kid never wants to raise their hand and say, hey, I don't get it. Because they don't want to feel singled out. They don't want to feel like amongst their peers, they're the one who doesn't understand. Uh, which is a lot of times why kids don't ask. Um, do you see any value in, in something like private tutoring? Or do you think it really is just a matter of sitting down and, and figuring it out yourself and doing the homework you no, know, and I getting think to know it? A tutoring is critical. Hmm. Okay. A tutor is a very valuable piece. And what what parents don't realize is that sometimes teachers do not teach in the way a student learns because we all learn differently. And the teacher, you know, I love, I love public education. I love private education. I like all of education. But, of course, there are people, just like in every industry, that either have been there a long time and they're tired and it's no longer a really passion for them. It's just something they have to do. And so I think in those cases, definitely a tutor is critical, a younger tutor if possible, someone who can kind of energize the student and someone the student relates to. Let's shift gears uh, for a second. I, I want to talk about my yeah, study habits back in the day, what I was doing, the idea of flashcards or, or just writing notes, highlighting. Different things work for everybody. Do you have anything that you find works particularly well just across the board that, that, okay, this seems to just work for kids. They, they, if they do this, most of the time they'll get it. No, I don't have any one thing. I would say that sometimes kids, even those that don't have a diagnosis of a learning difference, that if they record the, this, the teacher's class, if they record it and then play it back later, that they'll get things they didn't hear the first time. Because, again, 
the attention span of a typical high school student is not always great, especially because of the social environment. Okay, another one. Uh, for kids who have school districts where laptops are provided, do you see any value in typing notes versus writing them by hand? No. I think, I think it's, it's up to the individual student. You know, I'm, I'm old school, so if I don't write down notes, I don't absorb the material. Right. No, so, I, I'd so agree. I'm very much the same way. Let's talk about the idea of block scheduling versus regular scheduling because different schools have different ideas. Some will have you in a class for two and a half hours or so, 90 minutes maybe. The others will have you in for 45 and then you're already off to another. I went to a school where I had seven periods in a day, about 50 minutes per. Matt did block scheduling. I did. I had four per day. Right. Now, it's a funny story. Uh, we, my school actually tried block scheduling one day in senior year. They thought we'd give it a shot. It's the one day I ever received detention in my <laughs> academic career. So it's a funny story. <laughs> but um, where do you find value there? Is it better for a kid to stay in a class for a longer period of time and kind of get to absorb that material more or to kind of just go through each one and get to the end of the day and try to try to wrangle it all together? Well, I think there are benefits to block scheduling, particularly for preparing kids for college, because you are not in college going to have seven class periods, 45 no. minutes apiece. <laughs> and you are going to have either an hour and a half class or one hour, three times a week, and then you're gone. And so I think it is a good idea for block scheduling like Matt has had. Now, so many schools use block scheduling in so many bizarre ways. Um, I think my daughter had A, B, C, D, E, F days. And so I never understood how she kept up with it. No, but, that's, uh, we had A and did. B days. And even yeah. then I would get confused on a Monday. Well, right. what, is this a <laughs> A right. week or a B week? Now, I think they've changed it. But I mean, they used to have a bagel break, but the bagel break changed every day. <laughs> wow. Bagel breaks. I never got those. Uh, the one, the, I mean, the big thing about study habits, uh, again, I, I made my way through high school just through sheer force of will, I think it's at some point. But yeah, by the time you got to college, college is run so differently. It is so much more about the your individual drive to learn the material and not just you're going to sit in a class for an hour and a half and you're going to learn everything you need to learn and then you're just going to put that to the test. College is not like that. College, they'll, they'll present you something, but then you're expected to take the rest of your day whenever I was out working at the college radio station or doing whatever and you're supposed to go spend that time studying on your own and that's something that uh, I, I had not ingrained in myself and I had to pick up. Well, that's, that's part of why we're talking about study skills, is that what I share with students every day is that it's going to be so different in college. And if they don't have the discipline and the organization skills to help them realize that, okay, so I only have class from 9 to 10, Monday through Wednesday and Friday, and I have two other classes that day for an hour each, and then I don't have anything else until the next day. And... So what is the tendency of a typical 18-year-old? Well, it's, it's to go back and sleep because you had right. a 9 o'clock class right. and then hit the bars. I mean, 5 o'clock. Sure. Yeah, you so, pick up a part-time job. Right. So it's, it's the issue of discipline. And also I share with them that unlike high school where they're going to have tests every so often, in college generally you don't have a grade until the end of the semester. And you have a paper due. But that paper is something that you've been working on all semester. Well, you can't just do it the night before. How do you feel between individual study and group study? Do you think some students are better studying in a group, or should everyone 
obviously everyone should learn how to study individually, but I think group studying has has its value very much, especially if you're in a class like a history class and it's got all these timelines. And some kids are good at memorizing dates and what happened when, and other kids aren't. And so if you have a group of three or four kids who can then do a whiteboard and lay out the timelines and so they can visually see when they were, and maybe one student remembers the Napoleon era better or whatever, and somebody else remembers King George. Well, great. Let's have a let's have a kind of a dialogue, and they can talk about it, and hopefully it is absorbed when they do that because it's had a fresh take on it. The the other big thing I think falls in line with studying is note taking. I was not the best note taker, and I learned to become a very good note taker in. In college, do you have any advice for kids who have not really implemented that in their high school studying? I think that goes along with study skills. I think that's a big piece of learning how to appropriately study is that you learn how what to take on the notes, like how to take notes. And I always caution our students that whatever they do when they get to college, if they have an 8 o'clock in the morning class, they don't cut a deal with one of the kids that sits next to them to say, hey, I'll go Mondays and Wednesdays, if you go Fridays for me, because their note-taking may not be effective at all. I wanted to ask about, um, before I let you go, about about study environments. Uh, when I was in high school, I would just go study at home. I really struggled. When I got to college and realized I had to step up my game, that's when I started going to the basement of the library and closing myself in a little enclosed desk and just sitting there for an hour and a half and like just shutting out the rest of the world. Turn off your phone and like that's all you're doing. Um, so... Do you have any advice or any words towards that, towards where you should be studying? Is it better to study outside or inside, at a study hall in class when you have nothing else going on and somebody can supervise you, or, you know, personally responsible at home? What do you think? Well, I think that every student is different, and that's an individual choice. I do think that cell phones should be turned off, that um, internet should not be freely used, and no texting while they're trying to study because that constant interruption prevents them from being able to focus. I do think that some kids study sitting on their bed much better than they do working at their desk. Um, Other students, maybe they need to be in a quiet room with no noise at all. Another student might do fine with headphones and some music playing and sitting in the middle of the den with their younger siblings running around them. So it's, it's an individual preference of how, who, who studies best how. But, but they definitely need not to have a lot of distractions with texting and interruptions. Well, Catherine, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Um, before I let you go, let's talk about uh, your guest that you're going to have on. He was actually in our first episode. Yes, Michael Lundy. He's an expert on study skills and organization and what it means to your cognitive abilities down the road. Well, I'm anxious to hear what he has to say. We'll be right back with more of How to Go to College right after this. Welcome back. We've been talking about study skills with Zach and Matt, and I've brought in Michael Lundy, who is an expert in study skills and cognition and organization. And I feel like he can give a lot of insights and tips on how students can better study and prepare themselves for college. Thank you. It's good to be back. Good. 
Um, talk to me a little bit about the issue of, I think in the uh, first part of this segment, we were talking about each student is different, an individual, and whether it's some kids can study in a group and some kids need to be independent and some kids can study in the middle of the den with lots of noise and activity at home and other kids need to be in a very quiet place. It's a good starting point, right? How frustrating is it when we know it's true, right? That you, that we're all different, right? It's a kind of a starting point when it comes to, to learning and to uh, academic success. But the real challenge is, okay, so if we're all different, what do I do for myself, right? And oftentimes it's a path that is littered on, on all sides with error upon error until you start to carve out a perfect schedule that works for you. So I think when it comes to study skills and the best way to approach the subject, it's to distinguish between study skills in the sense of what are you actually doing when you're sitting down at your desk, you've got your books in front of you, you've got a pencil in hand, so that's the short term. And then study skills in the sense of on what's the long game, right? What does the monthly schedule look like? How do I make sure I can keep redlining the engine? And right. this is why it's so important to figure this out in high school or middle school even so that you are very well prepared for college because the scheduling and everything else is so different and the distractions are greater. Absolutely. So when it comes to individual differences, I think we can actually parry that down into two separate boxes we can open. And first has to do with how your own mind works. And the other has to do with, well, if you're studying for a test, right, depends on the kind of assignment, what sort of environment is most conducive to success in that, that particular skill, right? So let's go to the first. We'll take them in order. So when it comes to how your own mind works. So this is how I, what I liken it to. If you give your average student an assignment, okay, I want you to memorize this list of names or dates. How about the right? Gettysburg Address? The Gettysburg Address, right? So what you need to figure out is, okay, whenever I do find myself remembering things, is there some correlation Right? Are there some things I tend to remember very well? And oftentimes, this is something that's, I think, maybe kind of general, like a general rule of thumb when it comes to people, is that we remember things that are very salient, right? Emotionally resonating. So I often find that imagery attached to text, attached to words and sounds, is a good way to get things to stick, right? Or someone could be very pictorial. They see things in images, right? I'll use an example. I have one student I've been working with the past few weeks uh, tutoring, and this student has really struggled with reading and writing. Doesn't find it interesting at all. Through our interactions, come to find out he has a real passion for art and mathematics. And I ask him, why do those things come so easy to you? I wanted him to kind of open the hood, right, and you know, engage in some metacognition, right? I'm a real advocate of this. In other words, think about how your own thinking works. He says, I guess I just think it's easier to visualize things. So I showed him how he can write based off of pictures that he's describing. So I gave him a starting point. I said, we're going to make a story together. So I start with just a rectangle on, on a whiteboard and said, what do you see there? He starts describing the way it looks, the shape. He says, well, I actually see a robot. I said, really? What do you mean by that? And he starts drawing circles in the rectangle, draws a neck, draws the rest of the body. And he starts telling me what this thing can do. And I said, you see, this is how your mind works, right? That's the first box there is you're figuring out, okay, what kind of greases the wheels on your neurons? What gets you to kind of get on track and stay on track? Because where his attention was flighty, suddenly he's laser focused. And that's, that's a key for students in that, that first point. Good. Okay. And the second point. Right. And the second point, when it comes to assignments, 
Right. Actually, listening to your conversation, very interesting conversation with uh, Zach and Matt about uh, study skills, right? So I was kind of thinking back on this, and what it occurs to me is whenever you are trying to prepare for a certain kind of assignment, let's just say it's an exam, research suggests that if you're recreating the environment in which you're going to take the exam, that is going to prime your memory to actually generate that information. So if you are taking an exam in an environment that's absolutely alien and foreign to your study environment, your brain is not as likely to be primed to actually generate that information again. So this is a great example of why it is important that students who are doing test prep, that they take practice exams on like a Saturday, and they do it in a classroom setting with other students, and they do it timed just like they will on test day. You want to recreate the conditions under which you're being assessed, right? I'll use an analogy, like with sports, right? This is something I often tell students um, study school uh, about study skills. Uh, let's say I have a student who I'm working with, and I have to know about his background, right, or her background. I have to know what comes easily to the student. So I might say, well, let's say the student is a football player, right? And I ask him, well, how do you prepare for the game? They walk me through all their steps. This is analogous to the study skills, what they're doing as far as the conditioning goes, techniques of the sport. And what I always pull out of them is the realization that they're trying to get as close to game day as possible, right? They want to recreate the excitement, the bright lights, the cheering. So they're, they know how to control the anxiety. See, that's one thing I think students don't realize is they don't, oftentimes you want to avoid feeling anxious, but sometimes that can be fuel for generating success if you know how to control it. So sometimes if you're feeling that anxiety, you're feeling that that sort of uh, antsiness, if you learn how to control that while you're st studying, you'll be able to kind of harness that skill set when it comes time for game day, so to speak, when you actually have that exam right in front of you. Good points. Great points, as a matter of fact. So talk to me a little bit more about how students can develop good organization skills. Right. I can't quite recall where I've heard this term. It's a very useful metaphor. Right, it really stuck for me, and I, I think uh, it'll help our audience here. Think of habits as starting very weak, almost like fibrous cobwebs, easily broken. But through repetition, they became, become steel cables, very hard to break. That's the key here. As we said at the top of our hour here, we we're talking about the difference between short-term, right? Now we're discussing the long-term organization. So how do you create chains out of your habits, right? It has to do with repetition. I often, what I do for myself is I write down everything I'm going to do as far as I can foresee for the week. And I try to color in the detail when I start the day. It's almost like making a promise to yourself. It's one thing if you just make the plan in your head and say, well, I'm going to study for a couple hours today in English followed by math. It's another thing when you actually write down, I will spend two hours on this particular subject. You actually schedule in your break time. That's very important, by the way. I wish I brought that up earlier. It's really important to know how to keep the energy levels up. You don't want to fatigue yourself, right? So prepare for the long race, in other words. And so in addition to writing things down, when you stick to the schedule, you have certain reward centers in your brain, right? The relevant neurotransmitter here is dopamine. It's a reward system. When you know you're making progress and you can feel it happening, being able to make those check marks on your scheduling book, that's how you keep yourself on track. That works in all walks of life, whether you are a high school student or an adult working. 
That's what exactly what you're trying to do as a student. You're trying to model the adult life on a very small scale until eventually you get to the point where all the habits are in place, those chains are going to remain strong even when beset by the tempest that is adult life. Well, it certainly makes sense because if you think about kids who um, are adults, like me, for instance, when if I have a workout routine that I can do, if I do it every every day or I do it for a month or three three months, I know it's ingrained and it will always be there. Absolutely. So another, so I actually think there's some interesting things here to say about the long-term aspect of social skills, organizational skills. There are certain things that I recommend students do that seem almost on the surface entirely unrelated to academic success, but I think are integrally connected. Here's an example. Just exercise, right? That's, this is something that's been de-emphasized more and more in primary school and secondary school, and sometimes that's the first thing to go when you're a college student, right? It's easy to make excuses for it. But for me, that was essential to my own college experience and, and success. I needed it. You need a chance to kind of clean out the pipes, right? And a chance to forget about your academics, like a chance to kind of miss it, right? So sometimes variety to your day, carefully planned in, carefully segmented around your studying time is a way to stay on track and not, well, the big mistake you make is you take a few days off, make excuses each day, and those habits become weaker. I think it's real important here that parents realize that this really starts early, that we're talking elementary school, middle school, that, that kids need to have regular exercise or activities that they do after school. One issue that has been raised is mental health in college life, and this is one uh, con contribution to having a very strong um, endurance, resilience, uh, grit in the, in the face of stress in college life. And it is important to start early. And we don't really think deeply about why it is we give that advice, but the truth of the matter is your brain is more plastic when you're younger. The older you get, the more difficult it is to form new habits. So when you start earlier, it, your personality is more fluid. It's shapeless and you start shaping it and eventually it kind of hardens almost like clay right and when it takes its full shape and hardens if it's uh, if it's structured in the right way in other words your life is structured in the right way it will stay that way for the long term how do you um, advise parents who like many students that come to me are over programmed and so how do you help the uh, family or students kind of decide what's really important so that when they get to college and they don't have that kind of regimen, they can still not go to the other extreme and, and actually have some, some activities they do, but just not to the volume that they had in high school. It's a great question because parents obviously have their children's best interests in heart and they're thinking, well, I want to make sure my child is prepared for a crushing schedule that awaits them. So I'm going to make sure I maybe plan um, some time for them to learn a new language, to learn about playing an instrument, playing a sport, in addition to the academic load. But what can often happen is that students will burn out. In my own experience, I met students who were real star pupils when they're in high school. Suddenly, it's like a train that derails. When they get skids. to college. Absolutely. They finally get freedom. They know what that feels like. It's something alien to them. Well, we could go into a whole other mm. subject about 
over hovering. Right, helicopter parenting, so yes. to speak. Yes, but, but we're not going to cover that today. We're going to stick to study skills and organization. Mm -hmm. So we'll take, give me just two more tips, and then we'll wrap this up. Right. So I would say one good parting tip here is, well, maybe it helps kind of reiterate a little bit what we said, pack it together. So it, the idea is kind of know thyself, right? There's that old philosophical adage in a sense of how does your own mind works or work, excuse me. So if you think more pictorially, if that comes naturally to you, that's the sort of mnemonic device you want to develop. That's the sort of study skill you want to develop. And the second tip is prepare with the end in mind. If you have an exam in, uh, that you're going to take, you want to recreate the environment in which you're going to take the exam and your study environment should match that. And I'll add on a third, third one there which has to do with the long game, as we were talking about earlier. Think of habits as things that need to be reinforced, right? Make promises yourself in the form of a, of a schedule that you stick to and know your own limits, right? Give yourself free time, right? That way you're able to, that way you're able to remain resilient and keep those habits in place until they become strong. Excellent. So in summary, what we have talked about are ways to improve students' ability to be successful not just in high school, but also in college. But the important thing to remember is that organization and study skills are critical for success in college. And it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much, Michael, for being here. And you can reach Michael through marscaa.com. And we would love to um, hear from you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, that just about wraps up our show today. I'm Zach Lewis. And Catherine, how can people get a hold of you if they want to know more? Well, they can reach me at Catherine at MarsCAA.com. That's Mars with two R's. Or they can go to the website at MarsCAA.com. Thanks so much for listening. This has been How to Go to College.